All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. A podcast that upon hearing caused Hakeem Olajuwon to shove a pencil in each ear and declare to the world, I need never hear another sound, for I have heard the most beautiful sound a man could hear. It's a true story. Look it up. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy Bailey, the inspiration for Dante's Furno, as well as the 1998 film Patch Adams, starring Robin Williams. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm pencilless at the moment, so much to the chagrin of Akeem Olajuwon, uh, we press on. But uh, doing well, man. Uh, not the same not having you in person this time, though. Yeah, I was going to stop in there on the way back, but then simply decided not to and continued living my life. But <laughs> no, actually, it was just <laughs> couldn't do it, man. Uh, down to St. Pete and then back up to Ohio. That was a quick turnaround. Yeah, that was uh, a haul. You left my house that night at like 9 p.m. You're like, yeah, about four more hours to go tonight. And I was like, well... Godspeed, soldier. We stay grinding over here, all right? This is championship level week in and week out. And while there's no Michigan football to cover this week, much to our chagrin, there is a lot of news to get to, and we're not going to stop talking Michigan football just because it's not on. That's not how we do things. So let's get into this. We have some hits. I won't say quick hits because there's quite a, quite a bit to get through. Let's start on a bit of a solemn note, and uh, that is a, a coach that you and I both revere, enjoy, like, I guess, and uh, respect as well. And that's Mike Leach, um, formerly of Washington State, currently has been at the Mississippi State program for the last few years, has passed away at the age of 61 due to heart complications. This man owned a raccoon named Bilbo Baggins and gave us more classic, memorable quotes than anybody else in college football outside of, say, like, you got to go way back to like Bear Bryant or something. So truly a loss for the college football world. Yeah, it was devastating to hear, man. 61 is just so young, and uh, I love the response from the Mississippi State football team when asked if they were going to play in the bowl game. Like, of course we are. They have an actual pirate ship in the stadium. Mike would have loved that. So it's like, I mean, I feel like that tells you all you need to know about the spirit that Mike Leach was, and the world's a little less today without him in it. Yeah, man, and like them kind of being tongue-in-cheek about it is kind of the same way we are because that's how he lived his life. He was extremely tongue-in-cheek. He never took things too seriously, or he would take them way seriously. If you asked him a question, he would give you exactly the response on his mind. Uh, when asked about candy corn, one of my favorite quotes from him, he said, I think candy corn is awful. You know, it's like fruitcake. There's a reason they serve fruitcake once a year because it's awful. There's a reason they only serve mint juleps once a year because they're awful. And there's a reason they serve candy corn once a year, because it's awful. Now, that does beg the question why they serve it at all. But anyway, that's my opinion. Just a random bit that he gave a reporter one day around Halloween. And I, for things like that are what I'll remember about Mike Leach. But also, the air raid like was not his idea, but he really pioneered it and perfected it. Yeah, he is 100% one of the founding fathers in college football for bringing it to prominence. Everyone remembers the the Graham Harrell, Michael Crabtree, Texas Tech teams. And most people remember where they were when Texas Tech upset Colt McCoy's Texas team on like with two seconds to go in Lubbock. Just classic memories like that. What he did at Washington State with Gardner Minshew, what he's been doing at Mississippi State. Like it's always an exciting team. He was a very unique character, and there's not many of those left. 
And it is rare to see just an active head coach die, you know, while still tenured at a, at a university like that. So it's going to be difficult for Mississippi State from a football perspective, which is obviously not what we're worried about now, but to replace him and see what they do there. But for now, our thoughts and prayers definitely go out to Mike Leach's family. 61, as you said, it's too young. And speaking of that, uh, the other part that, you know, to, not to just open with more somber news, but we'll get it out of the way. And that's uh, Demetrius Michi Walker who uh, was featured in one of the Michigan games. I forget which game they actually, before which game they did that. Penn State. Yeah, Penn State, um, where they brought him on um, to the field and, you know, that he was able to score a touchdown, a symbolic touchdown with the players. He passed away after a two-year battle with a rare type of bone cancer. He was a recruit around the 2019-2020 time, uh, was supposed to come to Michigan and um, fell sick. So our thoughts and prayers go out to them as well. Yeah, th this one's tough, man. I mean, just so, so – we talk about 61 being young, Michi just being a teenager, just being a kid with everything in front of him, being di diagnosed with a terminal illness. I am uh, so proud of the way the university helped him live out some of his dreams that he was unable to because of his condition. Um, just absolutely devastating, heartbreaking. There's no way around it. And, I mean, if the season didn't have enough, like, impact and force behind it, like just driving factors, I mean, winning it for Michi would just mean more than anything else. Absolutely. And just reminds you that at the end of the day, there is a human element behind all of this. These are people that are playing this game, but we don't want this to be a giant downer. You know, it is still a very successful Michigan season. That is not our purpose here. So we will move on. But our thoughts are with those people um, and their families. And to move on, let's go to Jeff Brom, who we just defeated in the Big Ten championship game. The Purdue head coach had been there for how many years? When did Jeff Brom arrive? I don't have that written down. I should have that written down, but he's returning to his alma mater. Louisville to be the head coach and Illinois defensive coordinator Ryan Walters then is moving over to take the head coaching position at Purdue, which is kind of a surprise hire. So what are your thoughts on Jeff Brom to Louisville and the Purdue hire of Ryan Walters? It's good for Louisville. They're getting Brian Brom, who you or Jeff Brom, who you and I both respect as a head coach. He'd been at Purdue since 2017, had had tremendous success there for a Purdue program that historically does not. I mean, nine wins last year, eight wins in a Big Ten championship appearance this year. So I think it's a great hire for uh, Louisville, although it feels kind of like a lateral move as you and I were talking off air for Jeff Brom. I get it, it's his alma mater, but leaving the Big Ten to go to a less than middling school in the ACC is a choice. And I like Purdue's move to bring in Walters to be their head coach. I feel bad for a lot of the offensive players recruited at Purdue, but that's what the transfer portal is for. So they'll be able to move about freely, especially with their coach departing. But Ryan Walters, man, we saw the defense he installed at Illinois and did it with those athletes. If he can bring his own guys into Purdue, that's going to be a nice defensive force on the West, especially with uh, USC and UCLA coming to the show. Agree with your initial thought there that Brom for Louisville is certainly a home run hire for them, bringing him home in what could be considered a bit of a lateral move. I don't know who else was out there who was calling. You know, Auburn didn't obviously extend, and you know, a lot of the bigger jobs in Nebraska, Wisconsin filled up. So I hadn't heard his name really mentioned with any of those jobs. So maybe this was just the only job that was calling, and he realized the time was now. I will say that I'd rather live in Louisville than West Lafayette. So if that had anything to do with it, good on you. Uh, but the other side of this, the Ryan Walters hire, certainly a swing, very young, 
Uh, first head coaching gig, obviously coming over from Illinois, where they had a, a strong defense all year. I mean, it was Michigan one and two with Illinois up until the last couple weeks of the season. Uh, can that translate to Purdue, which, as you mentioned, is not historically an easy place to win and to come in there with, with a team that was 100 percent built for the opposite of what he's going to want to build them around. I don't know. It's a weird fit. It's a weird transition. And it's a swing with a guy where you maybe would want someone a little bit more proven. But I don't know who was out there that you were going to go get if there was somebody at a mid-major that you could bring up. Um, being a little bit later in the cycle kind of put them behind the chains. But, you know, I hope he's a, he's a hit and he works out for them and that he can actually build a defensive quality program there. But I'm just going to say that I have my doubts because of how hard it is to win at Purdue and because I think Jeff Brom had found a way to win uniquely at Purdue, and that was through uh, primarily through a passing attack that was pretty formidable year in and year out. Uh, you and Walters are alumni brothers. Uh, he played at CU, and I believe he was a safety there. Started 33 games. He's been a DC or co-DC since 2016, so right around when he was 30. So he's got a lot of experience at a high-level like assistant coach position. And a random fact here on uh, Wikipedia, during his father's playing days, uh, Ryan Walters' babysitter was Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. So d do with that what you will. Thank God I have that information now. Now I can go about my day. Well, guys, he was babysat by <laughs> Eric Bieniemy, so I think that we know how he's going to attack a cover too. I don't, I don't know what to make of that, but I, I appreciate that information. But yeah, I mean, we'll see here. Um, I'm a little skeptical on it. Things are about to get a lot harder in the Big Ten. This is a tough job for Ryan Walters like to come in. You obviously take this job, but we'll see, man. We'll see. I wish you the best. Um, all right, let's move on to the Heisman and the All-American voting. Blake Corum not invited to New York, which is a travesty on par with human trafficking. But he did finish seventh in the Heisman voting. Uh, which means that some people know ball at least. And the winner is Caleb Williams in one of maybe the weakest Heisman finalist uh, final four that I can remember. What are your thoughts on the Heisman trophy going to Caleb Williams where Blake Corm finished? I didn't even watch it. There were some reruns of cheers on. So I was catching up on those much better. Uh, yeah, this is, Completely forgettable, man. It was silly. It felt like the Davey O'Brien Award. You had Stetson Bennett. That's almost 30 up there with these guys. Uh, I, I mean, I understand why Caleb Williams won. Like, he had a tremendous season, but it ended with such a dud. Like, you just kind of forget about the rest of it. And then some of the Twitter stuff with he and Duggan that was taking place just cast a shadow over it. Uh, Stroud season ended in a dud. Uh, I don't know. It was weird. Very forgettable, as you said. The voting's all out of whack. Something needs to be done to get some just different positions involved. Like this would have been such a fun year to just invite Chase Brown for lead the nation in rushing or something, or invite Oluolu Atimi for all I care. If you want to talk about excellence at a position. I fully agree. And I'm glad that you brought that up. So you said something needs to be done. Let's do a brief workshop here. How would you fix the Heisman trophy? Uh, I'll, I'll start since I blindsided with this, give you time to think about it. How about if there's two awards? How about if it is most outstanding player, which is what the Heisman is supposed to be, and then it's most outstanding offensive player, which is what it always ends up being. There's got to be a way to separate this, and maybe you change the, the verbiage, the vernacular surrounding how you describe that, but there should be a way 
that we can just get the absolute best out there. Like it, sometimes it should be an offensive lineman. Sometimes it should be a defensive tackle. How do we get to that point where we can determine who the absolute best player in college football is? Some years it's obvious. Some years it's Joe Burrow. Other years it's not. They, there, there should be a solution already present because you have the Maxwell, you have the Walter Camp, you have the Davey O'Brien for quarterbacks. I mean, you have uh, the Outland for interior linemen either side of the football. I mean, you have all these like di- different trophies. Like it should be as like it should already be inserted. Like for the Heisman, it just it's hard to fix, man. There needs to be just like maybe just a difference of position, like a cap that like maybe only one representative of the quarterback, maybe two, if you want to stretch it there, like just anything to inject some life into this, make change the voting. So you can't vote until after the championship games, if you want, but then you run into the, everybody should have equal footing. If uh, you're up for the Heisman, you should only have 12 games, but like that most of the people that are nominated for the Heisman have that 13th stamp. So it's like, do you still weigh it in there? It's really tough. But obviously something needs to be done when like last year you had such a great example of Bryce Young winning it, which everybody was fine with. Aiden Hutchinson, a defensive player finishing second, like just a nice balance. I would like to see Kenneth Walker replace Kenny Pickett last year and it might have been a perfect ballot, but there needs to be something. I agree, and I hate to agree with you there because we're also agreeing with some of our Michigan State counterparts out there, but I think Kenneth Walker should have been invited last year, just like Blake Corum should have been invited this year in place of Stetson Boat Shoes. But that's just the way it is. I don't know how you fix it as well. You brought up a good point there that because there's already so many other awards with that individuality for the positions, it's tough. I don't know how you come up with something that's going to really change this and fix it overnight because it is the most important award. Joel Klatt was talking about this on his podcast, and I kind of agree with him. It might be the most important and distinguished award in all of sports. Like You are then forever known as RG3 Heisman winner. You know, Blake, uh, Baker Mayfield, Heisman winner. It's it's more so than like Super Bowl MVP or NFL MVP. I mean, the only thing that compare, I think, is gold medal winner. But there's a lot more gold medal winners running around than there are Heisman Trophy winners. It's such such a unique award, like most outstanding person in all of college football. It's just such an like. It's just such an esteemed era to be in. And yeah, some something has to be done. Bring in a different position. Bring in that. If you were going to give the Heisman to anybody not named Blake Corm this year, who would have it have been? It would have been Max Duggan for me. I think he was the most deserving because of on-field accolades, what the team did. Um, just yeah, I think that that team, TCU, without Max Duggan, probably has four losses, three losses at least. What do you think? I love the Duggan choice, especially when you saw him in the uh, Big 12 championship that they lost. I was even more impressed with him and his heart that he displayed to like go down the field, force overtime with the drive that was 99% him making things happen. So that would have been a fun choice because a guy that started the year off the radar and then just rises up the ranks and carries this TCU team to the playoff. Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, My final submittal for how I would fix it, I would expand it to five. So there's always five guys there. And then I would I would make the voting different. Who gets to vote? I would want the people that are watching the most amount of college football voting. And I think there's like thousands of people that vote on it now. I might take that down to like hundreds or even under 50 people that really, really watch the games. And let's see what that 
brings forth. Because I remember a few years back, like Indomitian Sue was the best player in college football his senior year, junior year, whenever that was at Nebraska. That was the best player. Everyone knew it when they were watching him. He probably should have won the Heisman. Uh, but there was also I forget who won it over him. That might have been like there was a lot of really, that might've been like Vince young era. So there was some pretty outstanding offense going on around then too. But I think that's how you do it. You just need ball knowers. So uh, Andy and Jared Heisman voters, 2023, let's make this happen. <laughs> yeah. And Dominican Sue's year in 09 was tough, but I mean, it was a very, I mean, it was an open year at the top. It was Mark Ingram, Toby Gerhart, senior year Colt McCoy, then Indomitian Sue was fourth. And I think he could still make the argument for Sue being the winner. I think so too. Yeah. So I was off on the, uh, yeah, definitely way off on the Vince Young era, Mark Ingram and stuff. I think that makes an even better argument for Indomitian Sue, but Nebraska was not that dominant that year. Anyway, we're getting way off topic. I agree. Out of the blue voters for Heisman next year. Let's move forward. <laughs> uh next quick hit is uh not really that quick what's oh wait wait we didn't talk about all american i apologize let me back that up here uh blake Corum, seventh and heisman voting but an all american along with oluwatimi both of them consensus all americans blake Corum, first consensus running back or first consensus all american running back since chris perry you got to go back to 2003 and then uh, Olu, first consensus All-American on the offensive line since David Mulk in 2011. Uh, both, I think we agree, deserving as we were kind of arguing for some of their accolades earlier. Uh, did anyone get snubbed? How do you feel about this? I think they got it right. No, I mean, uh, Jake Moody, you could you have the argument for, but when you see some numbers from other guys, like the NC State kicker, the Stanford kicker, certain guys like that, just had better years because Moody attempted a lot from the moon this year, which I respect the ambition because I love a gunslinger at quarterback and kicker. But no, this was right. Olu Otimi should be the uh, first-team All-American. I mean, won the Outland, won the Remington. Blake Corum, also a no-brainer here for what he was this season. So I think they got it right. Yeah, Mike Moore, second team All-American as well. So I was kind of surprised he was getting that love after missing a few games. I mean, he was flirting with some really good numbers there, um, but missed some time towards the end. Look, this is completely correct. Olu and Blake Corum were the heart and soul of this team. You don't get to 13 wins without both of these guys. And I, I don't know how <laughs> there was not Blake Corum um, as first team All-Big Ten or um, Olu Olu with Timmy, the same deal there. Um, but whatever that's neither here nor there Aiden Hutchinson is currently the front runner for defensive rookie of the year and I'll hear nothing else I know Sauce Gardner's extremely talented and having a great year for the New York Jets but seven sacks 43 total pressures leading all rookies right now for a Lions team that are hot hot I'm telling you it's been enjoyable to watch them which I feel like I'm taking peyote just to say it but they've been fun he's a huge part of it who do you got for defensive rookie of the year right now don't ever ask me that question. You know who I got for this one. Like, you can give me the Sauce Gardner PFF. He got more unicorns and cover two coverage than the next guy. I do not care. I will not hear it. I'm going to stand for our boy on this one. Aiden Hutchinson, man, what he's meant to this, like, city, the way he did it without an emerging pass rusher or an established pass rusher next to him has been tremendous. Two interceptions on the year. You and I talked about at the beginning of the Lions season. We said, hey, we get seven wins this year. That's a huge step in the right direction. And now, like, 10 wins is on the table if you win out. The playoffs are right there. Like, no, Hutchinson has been one of the integral pieces in this turnaround. I love him endlessly. Give him the damn award. 
give the man the award. I'm glad you got offended when I asked you. That is the correct response. Uh, which process do you understand more? Is it the Academy Award nominations or is it PFF's grading system? Uh, sadly, I think it's the Academy Award nominations. I can usually like uh, group the votings by race and gender pretty easily. I can <laughs> narrow those down. PFFs, sometimes it's just like a coin flip. It's like, you know what? This guy. He, he looks pretty good today. We're going to give him this. Like, yeah, no, PFF, uh, especially the college ranks. I've already done that rant, so I'm not going to go off on a rant here. I'm not going to rant here. NFL it. one, at least have a little more. <laughs> NFL, he says a little more sense. I totally agree with you there. Yeah, the PFF grading system, you played that obnoxious board game that I created that's like World of Warcraft. It was during pandemic. Judge me if you want. I don't care. That board game slaps. But like it's it's easier to figure out the rules of that and the strategy of that than than what's going on with the PFF grading system. Because uh, despite the fact we just talked about Olu and Blake being all Americans, they weren't on the all PFF Big Ten team. There was not one Michigan player on their defense. So it's just it's extremely weird the way pff does things uh josh uche speaking of michigan defensive ends that are absolutely wrecking the nfl this dude might be the hottest player in the nfl right now he has 10 sacks in his last six games for the patriots he is flying flying up the charts of just effective pass rushers i've i don't know that i've seen anything where it's like this late a guy just figures it out and it's like a switch has been completely turned on uh, have you been able to watch any uche at new england he looks dangerous yeah i've seen some and i've been really impressed with the way they're using him and honestly, at times it's not surprising because he came on late at Michigan. His usage was always weird in Don Brown's system. But I'll never forget leading up to the NFL draft that year, you and I were doing a pod naturally. And you're like, Josh Uche is going to be good. Like just the way he is, his aggressiveness, like it's going to take him some time, but he's going to be good. I didn't think we'd get 10 sacks in the last six games good, but I'm glad to see it. Yeah, I guess we can take a little bit of a victory lap here because we were really high on him, but he was still figuring things out when he left Michigan. Could have stayed for one more year. Wasn't ever really going to be an every down guy because of, uh, I wouldn't say he's a liability against the run, but that's not a specialty, but he could rush the passer. And now some of that bend in athleticism that you saw at Michigan, he's just perfected that. And I've not really seen a defensive end get like as low. He looks like me during the Ohio state game after the first Cornelius Johnson touchdown when I'm, <laughs> when I'm getting low and limber on the ground, like I'm crawling around like a Panther losing my mind. That's Josh Uche getting around to tackle. I just can't express to the listeners like the first, the AJ hitting punt return when you thought he touched it. You were on all fours yelling at the TV like a hyena. And then three plays later on the touchdown, you just collapsed <laughs> from lack of oxygen. And it was the single greatest and funniest moment of all of last year. I don't know how y'all are watching the games, but this, this means something to me, man. We're, we're out here watching games, all right? I'm not passively watching them in the background while listening to a podcast and playing Tetris, all right? I'm watching these games. I'm in it. So, yeah, that's how I act during it. But, yeah, man, uh, Josh Uche is an absolute terror. I just We got to get him off the Patriots. I do not want to have to keep tuning into the Patriots to watch all these Wolverines, which is why uh, Hutchinson on the Lions has just been incredible. And we both got to see him this year, which was great. Yeah, I got, got the fresh uh, Honolulu blue jersey of Hutch. And it's just, it's 
it's awesome to see Dan Campbell have success too, because he's such an easy guy to root for. Everyone bought into what he was selling. Like he seems to really care about Detroit and winning there the right way. And you'd love to see good people rewarded like that, especially this team. If you could put one of the draft eligible Wolverines from this year onto the Lions next year, who are you doing? Who are you putting? Uh, I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball, I think, and I'm going to get Mozzie Smith in probably the second round. Great, great pickup. Might be able to get him in the third based on what I've seen, but that's pre-combine. That man is going to break the combine. They're not even going to know what to do after his numbers come out. Uh, I've got Corum. I've got Blake Corum. I am of the opinion that you do not pay DeAndre Swift what DeAndre Swift's going to want to get paid just because history of paying backs and how many games he's missed. So I would take Corum in the third round. I think it'd be awesome. And he would be, uh, he'd be great for them behind that offensive line. You go from the Michigan offensive line to rushing behind Taylor Decker, Panay Sewell, Frank Ragnall, arguably the best offensive line in the NFL. Like that'd be a ton of fun to watch. I love that. I'm so happy. I knew you wouldn't say somebody like DJ Turner, but I'm so happy you said Corum because that would just be, it'd be almost too much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you, man. Um, while we're talking about Wolverines in the NFL, Brian Monet is still in the NFL. Saw him uh, for the Seattle Seahawks the other night. So this is kind of a random aside. Tell me what is the most surprising Wolverine NFL longevity? I'm going to give you a couple examples here. You ready? Let's do it. Jared Wilson, former safety, uh, he was of the Brady Hoke era, played six seasons in 84 games. Uh, Just recently, last year was his last year, played for, I think he's still on a practice squad, though. Brian Monet is in year four. He's played 40 games, four years from Brian Monet, not a starter at Michigan. Mike Dana, transfer at Michigan, also not really a starter, rotational guy. He's in year three, 39 games, also several playoff games. Sean McEwen, not a starter at Michigan in year three, 32 games. Zach Gentry was a starter, but we didn't really love him, came on late. But he's in year four, 36 games. Which one of these surprises you the most? Yeah, Jared Wilson had the good 15 season in the Durkin defense. So I was, I, I could see that one at the next level. Uh, Gentry always had the build. He had the devastatingly bad Ohio State game to cap his career, which really, like, kind of mucked the waters there. Mike Dana always had the talent, was just misused, not used enough, and came in late. Uh, so that brings us to McCune and Monet. I'll say maybe you could make the case McCune had uh, some blocking acumen, but I never anticipated this. But I think the answer has to be Brian Monet. You could have listed defensive linemen and edges from that season, and he might be the seventh person you get to. <laughs> the fact that he's played 40 years and is playing well for the Seahawks, shout out Jose, our boy, uh, it is just it is mind blowing to me the success he's having, and I love to see it. It is bizarre that Brian Monet is still in the league. You definitely got the final two that I was hovering around. Uh, I was more surprised by McEwen, but your Brian Monet argument was was really good there. I think McEwen probably would have been like Schoonmaker was, but then without like all the injuries and stuff, because McEwen would get in every now and again. Um, but he was like the second tight end when we weren't using tight ends as much as we are now. So he was like a lesser schoonmaker last year. So very surprising that Sean McEwen is still sticking around. But I'll go with you and say it's Brian Monet. Uh, let's move over to basketball. That was a lot of quick hits. And we're going to start getting into basketball a little bit more. Um, obviously, there's uh, some football left to be played. But things are starting to ramp up. Michigan played 
I wouldn't even say arguably, they played their most complete game against Minnesota last week in a 90 to 75 win. But we also found out that Jalen Llewellyn is out for the season since we last podcasted. So uh, let's get caught up on basketball. Were you able to watch against Minnesota? Oh, yeah, man. I watched all of this game, like, sat down. I was excited for it. I wanted to see the McDaniel offense and his first career start. And I was blown away at how this team played. It just had such a life and energy to it, a pace. We're going to have Kellen Voss on here of Mason Bruce soon to really break it down, just like one of the best covering this team. And But just from my standpoint, like, it helped that one – we were making shots from three. That is a nice thing to, to see from this team because for the last few games, man, it has looked dreadful from beyond the arc. I'm with you. It was a weird game, too, because Hunter Dickinson, 19 points, only four rebounds, one block. He looked good on defense, but didn't need it because of what you said. Other guys are just making shots, and sometimes there is no good basketball analyses to be had. It's just shots were going in. Bufkin's making shots. Uh, McDaniel in this one is five of six. He was three for three from three point range. And when you see other guys making shots, like it does tend to be contagious. So do not expect Doug McDaniel to go five from six and three from three every single night. He was also two of two on free throws. So maybe the most efficient 15, seven and two with three steals as well. More steals than turnovers. Uh, that was an incredible game by Doug McDaniel. If he does that every single time, our ceiling just got raised and he's better than Jalen Llewellyn. I am not ready to get there yet. You and I were very underwhelmed by Jalen Llewellyn. Let's go ahead and put it that way. But neither of us had given up either because we know sometimes these things take time. He's adjusting to a new system, coming over from a completely different league. But Doug McDaniel seems to have maybe raised the ceiling it's it is so weird because the depth obviously took a hit without Llewellyn but Doug McDaniel coming up from the high school ranks to be playing this well this poised poise is what stood out to me the most and with this level of energy in his first career start like he I mean he was at prom what six months ago and now he's just running a collegiate offense like this with this kind of control and handle I absolutely think he raises the ceiling here he brings an effort and intensity and I don't know, man, it just seems very under control and finds a way to make plays happen when Michigan needs them the most in this game. I don't know how you can be like 70% less mass than everybody else on the floor. I mean, he's like 5'10", 165 pounds. So I would be very surprised if this can hold up all year and he's going to look that good. Minnesota is not a very good team. They're now four and five. So it's not going to look that good for the rest of the year. I need to see him against some better competition because that's got me thinking all sorts of ways with, with him looking like that. But everybody was good in this. Uh, Buffkin had 15. Jet Howard with 14 looking like typical Jet Howard. Um, on the bench, we had a Yusuf Kayat sighting. So I guess now we can start talking about him. He's not just like an apparition like Nakai Hill Green. This is a real yes. person with flesh. So you and I are big Kayat guys. Uh, what did you see from him? I texted you immediately when he got in there, just sending the alarms. I'm like, we got Kyat minutes, baby. We're going. Uh, it was awesome. Like uh, this whole team has a lot to learn defensively, but especially Kyat. But it was nice to see him rain a couple threes in. Uh, you, we were raving about his shot 
well before as soon as you and I first like got our hands on some of his tape last year we're like look at the release look at this and just freaking out about his potential as a shooter in this offense and he demonstrated that a little bit it's taking him more time to get acclimated but I really like the way Howard has slowly initiated him into the offense and also I want to say with Juwan Howard with all the people wanting him fired um over pre-Thanksgiving college basketball. Uh, it's, it's so silly, it's and he tough. is showing that he is growing with this team. He's getting his substitutions better. He's getting his rotation better. Still finding out certain guys where they fit and understanding the chemistry. So I thought this was a great coach game by him, while all by against a less, you know, less, less than stellar opponent. Look, if you want Jawan Howard fired, go to a big boy, find one of the menus that's been coughed on by the last 30 patrons and just start licking it profusely because you're an idiot. (laughs) You're talking about fire Jawan Howard. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, he slapped a guy, but like we're past that. I kind of I kind of dug it like that would be the only reason you fired Jawan Howard. You're not firing Jawan Howard for anything on court. We're six and three. Like it's a, we've had a tough schedule. Two of our losses are to ranked teams. You know, like one was the number three in the country. That's ridiculous. No, I'm not going to go down that road. I would be surprised though. If Yusuf Kai is only playing eight minutes come big 10 tournament time, this is a guy we didn't stake our reputation to him, but me in particular, I was very high on getting him. I was like, Oh, this is like, this is a wing stopper. This is very valuable. This is a guy that's going to come in and be able to get huge stops in critical moments, can offer you some on-ball creation, and can shoot. Because like you said, we like his mechanics. So we're going to talk about him now that he's he's on the floor. So very excited about what he could become. Like you said, it is taking some time, though. Um, All right, let's back out. Let's zoom out a little bit. So we are nine games into this season. Give me one real thing, one question you have, and one overreaction about this basketball team. And if you need me to go first, uh, I can one do real, that. I I'll, I'm gonna go ahead and leave with the one real thing because I think anybody with eyes can see this is that Hunter Dickinson is playing like a first team All American because his he's using both hands well, he's shooting well, he's being decisive, he's passing better than he ever has before, and he's playing defense better than he ever has before. So I think that is just the runaway one thing that that is real this season. Uh, you stole mine. I'm going to try and think of another one, but while I'm thinking, I will multitask and also speak. That's called, uh, being a professional. And, uh, I will say that he is also playing the best he's played just in general. This is the best he's ever played. This is the most NBA ready. He's ever looked because of the defense, the three point shot, the free throws are falling, the command, the maturity. It's all there. So totally agree with you there. This one could fall. I was going to use this as my overreaction, but I'm going to go ahead and say it's real. And then I'll think of another overreaction. Jet Howard is above like NBA ready, just overall game, everything we're talking, the total package, he is above where Caleb Houston or Jordan Poole were when they left the program. That's not my overreaction. That's my real thing. I love this because as people can remember, like Jordan Poole, when he left, there were a lot of question marks. There was a lot of noise surrounding it. Like wasn't the best season. Jet Howard looks incredible right now. Like all of his NBA transitive skills are there. The way he gets to his spots, his quick release, his decision making, the his just play playmaking abilities are just lights out for a kid his age. So I love that one. Uh, one question for this team is. Oh, the three-point shooting really concerns me about whether this team could be eliminated in the round of 32 
or make the final four. That's a really good one. I'm a believer in a lot of these guys shots because I like shot mechanics and I look at what they're doing at the free throw line and I try to extrapolate on that. But yeah, that just the product hasn't been great. So that's a really good one. I will say my question is, can you with a with a backcourt trio? So we're going you know backcourt into the midcourt there of Doug McDaniel, Kobe Bufkin and Jet Howard, who have a combined age of like 36 can you manufacture Big Ten level defense, tournament level defense uh, against some of the guards and small forwards and that you're going to be running into? That is the number one thing that I'm looking at, even if I like the bones of all these guys individually as defenders like that's asking a lot out of some really young guys. It is, especially when you're getting to the conference play in the heat of it when some injuries, some banged up players are going to come into the fold of it all. And you wonder if they have the depth back there to overcome at times. So that's a great one to like be concerned about. Uh, my overreaction would be Doug McDaniel, like Doug McDaniel's last game against Minnesota. While we just raved about it and what he is, that's not who he's going to be all season. If he is, he might be first team all Big Ten, but he's going to be a freshman. He's going to have his ups and downs. It's going to be a hell of a ride either way because he's just that type of player. But that game, just being his first one, will not be extrapolated out for the rest of the year. That's your overreaction? That is 100% a very tepid and reasonable thing to say because, yeah, he's not going 100% from three-point land the rest of the way. So, wow, real bold, Andy. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. no, I, I misunderstood the question. I thought you said, like, what's one thing that we would, like, just oh, be, would be natural. Right, my bad. I, I was on the opposite end of that. Fair enough. I just like giving you shit, too, so I was ready to tear you down. <laughs> All right, you go first. I'll think of a better one. All right, my one overreaction. Want to touch on my boy, and that's Bones Buffkin. And uh, let me explain. He is now Bones Buffkin or Kobe Bones, uh, yet to be determined. Because we keep saying we see the bones of a really good player. He's six foot four. You forget about that because he's so thin, but he's out there and he moves so fluidly. Moves like a Jordan Poole or like even, dare I say, like a an Anthony Edwards, a less athletic Anthony Edwards, but he glides. And the mechanics on the shot are good. He finds ways to get to his spot. Um, needs to be way smarter about his uh, you know decision making and what shots that he's taking. But I like I like the bones here. So that is why he is bones buffkin. But my one overreaction is that he actually is going to be the second leading scorer at some point this season. I love this because I've been a big Kobe Bufkin guy. I remember in the off season, like you just kind of forget how tall he is. I was like, you're like, we have Kobe Bufkin who's six feet. I'm like, well, Jared, he's six four. And you're like, oh. Well, well, that changes the equation. Then It's like you just forget about it, that he was that tall because he was so frail last season. He's put on 20 pounds. He's still lean. He's playing with more confidence, and he's growing throughout every game. And he's playing with extreme effort on both ends. He's been a very valuable rebounder from the guard position as well. So I think he's finding a way to impact the game even when he's not lighting up the scoreboard. So I love that. Mine is going to be... I think Terrence Williams could become the X factor in the NCAA tournament this season. The most important player on this team because of what he can bring on the rebounding side, especially to balance out Dickinson, how he helps out Terrace Reed at times, what he brings from a shooting and defensive standpoint. I think Terrence Williams could be an X factor on this team in the NCAA tournament. 
I really like that, and I should probably alter mine a little bit. I don't know that it'll be second leading score because that would mean like he's got to overtake some of the averages that are already being set. I will say he'll be like the second scoring option at some point. Uh, but then to yours, I really like that as well. You and I are big Terry Two Sticks guys, and he didn't have his best game against Minnesota. In fact, he was maybe the only guy that wasn't just lights out in that game, but he's been extremely consistent, and he's been left open a lot. He's going to have opportunities to shoot. And if people keep leaving him open, he's shooting a pretty good percentage from three. I don't have that right in front of me, but we trust his defense. We trust his leadership. I agree with you there. I think he could be a very valuable utility wing, uh, starting to get some Isaiah livers vibes out of him, like starting to become a comparable player. The shooting isn't quite there yet, but it's, it's better than it was. And if it keeps improving, very Isaiah livers esque player. And that's, that's a valuable player there. Um, all right. We, I guess at this point, we may as well take a break. We went pretty long on that one. That's just the way that it goes. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to do a little bit of a season in review. Uh, not how we normally do it. We're going to break this thing up into quarters, how we did our season previews. And we're going to look at the forest for the trees to figure out how in the hell did Michigan become 13 and oh, it still makes no sense. We'll be back right after this. All right, coming back. Really excited for this second half. We're going to take a look at the entire season as a whole, as we call it, looking at the forest for the trees. Because you say something like undefeated 13-0, back-to-back Big Ten champions, and that means nothing to me because I don't understand what I'm saying. It's like understanding that you're made of molecules. I get it. You can tell me that. But fundamentally, it makes no sense. So we're going to look at this thing in quarters, the same way that we broke it down as we did our preseason, probably how we'll do it next year. But who knows? We change it up year to year. And we're going to look at the defining moment. Talk about the games, obviously, that happened in there. Uh, our offensive MVPs, our defensive MVPs, and we will give coordinator of the quarter. Uh, I sent this over to you in the doc. I have not seen your answers, uh, which I like. So we're going into this. Fairly blind, are you ready to proceed with this exercise, sir? Uh, yes, I am. And I have also avoided all of your answers in the doc so we can come into this fresh and just kind of relive some of the moments that got us to this point. Hell yes, sir. I'm happy to really relive an undefeated season. So let's get into this. Weeks one through three, quarter one, as we called it, the preseason. That would be week one, Colorado State, where Michigan won 51 to seven at home. Week two, Hawaii, the first JJ McCarthy start win at home, 56 to 10. And UConn at home win 59 to nothing. I was in attendance for that one. Give me your quick overview, what you remember from the preseason games, as we called them. Uh, the first thing that jumps out to me is J.J. McCarthy winning the starting job. I mean, it set the tone for the season, might be one of the single biggest factors for Michigan's success uh, from this point on. I certainly was leading up to this moment and just like getting a feel for the team. It was like meeting like some new friends, almost like coming into a new school with like where you have the new coordinator, a little bit different look on defense. It's kind of changing some new key pieces to get familiar with. So a very fun and enjoyable get to know you period. That is a great way to put it. I remember you and I trying to take stock of this, like, wait a minute, Roman Wilson's getting a touchdown every other time he touches the ball. Like, is this the greatest receiver on the planet? Uh, JJ McCarthy went, 
I mean, I have the numbers here, here, uh, Cade McNamara comes into his game. The first game, he's the starter. He goes nine of 18 for one thirty-six and one touchdown. And then JJ McCarthy, basically over the next three games goes 30 of 34 for four seventy-three and three touchdowns. So yeah, that was kind of what I remember from about this, but let's go ahead and get into the categories here. Give me your offensive MVP for the first quarter of the season. So for a lot of this, just full disclosure, I tried to introduce some variants where I could. And uh, honorable mention here is the right choice, but he's going to come up much later, and I'll let you touch on him. Uh, my offensive MVP, though, uh, for the first quarter is going to be Roman Wilson. Because like you talked about, he was getting a touchdown almost every other touch, breaking big plays off bubble screens. The Hawaii game against his hometown team, having the explosive plays there and taking the bow to the crowd was fantastic. So I just want to give Roman some shine for what he did at the beginning of the year. I love that. Then that's worth touching on because like I said, at one point, that was the biggest story. If you go back and listen to our podcast, they were very Roman Wilson centric. So I like that choice there. Uh, for honorable mention, I will go J.J. McCarthy. As I mentioned, 30 of 34, 473, and three touchdowns over this period, taking the job from Cade McNamara, who uh, really upset for a guy that went 9 of 18 for 136 and one touchdown against Colorado State, but that's neither here nor there. So, uh, yeah, so for me, J.J. McCarthy is honorable mention, but Blake Corum is going to be my offensive MVP. As you said, uh, you, you kind of took him out of the running for good reason, because he's probably just the overall MVP. And we're going to try to add some parity here. Uh, but Blake Corum had five touchdowns against UConn. So that really kickstarted the Heisman campaign. So I think that this is an important time to give him that because it set the tone for the season. This was going to be a Blake Corum season. He ran for 235 rushing yards and seven touchdowns over the first three games. Uh, but I, I love the Roman Wilson pick. Let's move over to defense. Uh, defensively, it's a lot of fun. Uh, honorable mention for me, defensive player is Javon Green because you and I at the beginning of the year, like he would get targeted once or twice a game, but was just locked down. Like perfect technique as he has all season, kind of got exploited later on by some physicality. But at the beginning of the year, he was so exciting to watch. It was so cool to see a fifth year player like that finally take that leap. But defensive MVP has to be Mozzie Smith here. Like, this is when we learned that he was the catalyst of chaos. Like, he was setting up all the pass rushes. He was absorbing all the blocks, shutting down the running lanes. This is when we were really first welcome to what he was going to be all season. I really like that. I, uh, for honorable mention, had DJ Turner had the 49-yard fumble recovery against Colorado State. Started out as the best cornerback, would change that, retake that honor, lose it again. Just a roller coaster of a year for DJ <laughs> Turner. But coming out, he was pretty solid playing against teams that couldn't really throw the ball anyway. So he's my honorable mention. Uh, I love the Mozzie Smith one. Um, and for the reasons that you said, establishing what this team is going to be all about. But for kind of the same reasons, I'll give it to Mike Morris. Only three tackles for loss, one sack over the first quarter of the season. Nothing too insane, but we saw it. Like, we we could see it in those games. I was at the UConn game, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, like, I, I see it. He didn't even register any sacks and, or tackles in that game. But in the first two games, he, he was really impacting the game he was beating his man one-on-one -on -one, looked like the biggest guy out there just the first guy off the bus type of guy um so yeah and i've got some other you know other guys that i want to touch on later so i'll give it to mike morris here although i love the mozzie smith one 
Uh, next award is the coordinator of the quarter. These are going to be tough on every single one. So I kind of expanded on this a little bit because I, w- I w- just made it coach of the quarter so I could go to different yeah, position groups that's what and I, things that's like what that. I, I chose a different one. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So I chose a different one for each quarter. So for the first one, it's going to be a little surprising. This is going to be a position group coach. I went with Mike Elston really because of the first game of the season. They had the seven sack performance against Colorado State. But in totality for the first quarter of the year, they had eight sacks and 18 TFLs just to set the tone for how this front was going to be working off of Mozzie Smith. You had uh, Mike Morris, as you talked about, Ayabi Yoki, Derek Moore, Braden McGregor, Taylor, all the different pieces coming in and out and what he brought to that room that lost Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojaba. I was just so blown away by. That's a great, great choice. And yeah, I'm glad that you expanded it because this is coach coordinator. We want to just kind of give props to that, like anybody that's on the sidelines there. And I'm going to give it to somebody that's not on the sidelines. He's got to win one. And I'm going to give it to Ben Herbert here because Blake Corum came in and we didn't think he could be an every down back. We were like, yeah, we lose Hassan Haskins. Blake Corum can't replace him. They're two different types of backs. He comes in against UConn and has five touchdowns. They're using him on the goal line. This guy's strong as hell. He's falling forward. He's able to take just 25 carries a game. We're leaning on people. And granted, you know, in this preseason, we could have leaned on anyone. But the fact that, like, all of this was being set up and Blake Corum came into the year, it had to happen in the offseason. So I'm giving it to Ben Herbert for the preseason because that's as close to the offseason as I can get, if that makes any sense. Like, he got these guys so freaking ready for the season. And it comes in, you they come in, and you start to see it with Blake Corum being the goal line back. So, uh, But I, I love your choice as well. And the final category, my favorite one, the defining moment of the first quarter. I'm going to pick a play just because it symbolized more than just the play in the game. And that is JJ McCarthy's touchdown to Roman Ah. Wilson. Because in that one moment, (laughs) you and I texted each other and we both said, it's JJ. It's always been him. And so I have JJ McCarthy winning the starting job with that throw. That is the answer. That is what I had. And uh, for the sake of parody, I believe now I'm going a little off script here. Didn't Cade McNamara throw an interception in the third game against UConn? That yes, it was. That was uh, when he was I be- booed. I think I believe so, and he got injured on the yes. play. Yes, so I'll I'll say that was a pretty defining moment as well. I'll throw that in there for the negative side, but on the positive side, damn, there is damn that's grim. It is grim, but you <laughs> took my answer. But yeah, I mean, it was a defining moment. I mean, defining moment can be Kennedy being killed or the discovery of nuclear fusion, which happened the other night. You know, it happens both ways, brother. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I agree. It is the Roman JJ. That was the second offensive play against Hawaii. The first one was a Blake Corum run for like 30 yards. And then he drops back and he drops an absolute dime to Roman Wilson. And the rest, as they say, is history. So that's a great choice. Uh, let's take actually, no, let's not take a break. That's ridiculous. We just got started. Let's go to the next quarter of football here. Uh, We're calling this the Big Ten Identity section here. This is weeks four through six. That's Maryland, Iowa at Indiana. Maryland win 34-27. Iowa win 27-14 at Indiana win 31-10. What do you remember about this little stretch of games? 
Got two road games here. So you had Kinnick and Indiana back-to-back. Uh, you had the first introduction into Big Ten schedule, which saw Michigan again kind of struggle out of the gates with such a jump in competition. Happened with Rutgers last year. Happened with Maryland this year. I'll never forget your drunken doomsday call to me. God, I love you. Uh, and then just it was it was this team really just figuring out who they were against the competition. Like it was a we, we got to meet the team and understand where the pieces were going to fit. But now we got to see them against some Big Ten competition. You had to go at Kinnick, which is never easy, and then you had to go to Indiana and that pesky run defense and you had to deal with uh the tragedy of Mike Hart suffering a seizure on the sideline which impacted everybody so you got to see him finally uh face that first little test of adversity in the year with the Maryland game at Iowa and then the Mike Hart uh health scare that's exactly right as adversity would be if you had to describe it using one word Maryland on the field at Indiana off the field. I totally forgot that we were at Kinnick because it didn't end up mattering. But I mean, Iowa still was a challenge. The 27 to 14 score uh, wasn't really indicative of how much we beat them, but it's still at Kinnick. It's still Iowa. That was still something that we had to get done and was a challenge, even if they were a little bit down this year, especially early in the season. But the Maryland game certainly sticks out. Um, The fact that I was at that game and gave you the drunken doomsday call afterwards about uh, things that needed to be cleaned up and that that ended up not really mattering and did get cleaned up. And Maryland also ended up being a pretty (laughs) good team that also challenged Ohio State. But I don't know, man. You know, you have a couple drinks, you (laughs) start having some fun, you have some thoughts. But uh, nonetheless, I agree with you that I think adversity and being challenged is what stands out here. So let's get into these awards here. Let's go ahead and start with offensive honorable mention and offensive MVP. Uh, honorable mention here, I'm going to go with tight end Luke Schoonmaker, giving it to Scooney. Uh, during this three-game scre- stretch, Scooney had 21 catches for 184 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he was the primary target, just sucking up receptions during this time. But I would be remiss if I didn't say Blake Corum was the offensive MVP, who during this three-game stretch totaled 500 rushing yards and four touchdowns. I mean, you have the 243-yard performance against Maryland. You have the gritty 133 against Iowa. You have the Indiana game with a, a buck 24, including that one highlight reel run where he just like danced away from eight defenders right in his face. And it was, I mean, we already knew how strong he was going to be. And you had gave the beautiful description about how important Ben Herbert is to this team and how physical Corum is. But you got to see a different dimension with him here and bouncing outside the vision. You got really got to see the full skill set. And of course, just rallying behind uh, the team and driving everybody forward after Mike Hart went down. I just can't stress that enough how important it was for them to just stay focused, stay on the course. And Cora, man, 500 rushing yards in three games. You know how like sometimes we'll do a superlative and we'll be like, yeah, that's the correct answer here, even though we have no idea if it's the correct answer or not. It's like, yep, uh, definitely. I think we want Devin Bush if we could put anyone onto the team that ended up not being correct, by the way. Uh, This is one of those instances where there is literally only one correct answer. It is Blake Corum. Look at the numbers and try to talk me into anybody else over this stretch. It is impossible you mentioned the only other person worth mentioning who is also my honorable mention that's luke schoonmaker uh 20 i thought it was 20 for 184 you had 21 either way about the same thing and two touchdowns which is very impressive for a three-game stretch for a tight end that 
came in as a backup. So certainly worth mentioning, but 84 carries 500 yards and four touchdowns. Like look at the Iowa game. JJ goes 18 of 24 for 155 and one touchdown. Well, Blake Corum at 133 and one touchdown as a running back, like our running backs basically keeping pace with our quarterback. And that's not a knock on JJ, but like, how are you going to give it to JJ and not Corum here is what I would say. It's yeah, there's just, there's no argument. When I looked at the uh, Blake Corum numbers, I was just like flabbergasted. I was like, what, what is this? Like, I can't do anything else. So that's why I couldn't give it to him in the first quarter. Cause I was like, God, I'm going to bring him up again. So like the numbers are just jaw dropping when you dive. In I know, but this is one of them where I wasn't really trying to get as cute with it and make sure everyone's touched on. I'm trying to just give an accurate snapshot of what happened while also still making sure we touch on people because like there's nobody else. There is nobody else to account for the wins and the production over this. I wish we had the percentages of this or maybe a pie chart we could show you. Uh, of what he meant to the offense. But uh, unfortunately, we're still an audio medium at this point. That's likely to change. Let's move over to defense, sir. Who you got? Honorable mention and MVP. Uh, honorable mention on the defense for this, for the second quarter of the season. I have Rod Moore. Thought he really established himself as like an emerging star on this team. He had 15 tackles and an interception uh, during this stretch. Like he was just fantastic, captaining the back end of the defense. And for defensive MVP, I'm going with Junior Colson who had 27 tackles for this three-game stretch and was just incremental at slowing down the run game, was all over the field, and might be the quietest, best player I can ever remember. Like, Colson is everywhere in every game, and the more you watch him, the more you're like, why isn't he being talked about enough? Like, it blows me away how good he's been this season. He's on pace to go over 100 tackles, which is crazy when you consider how little our defense is on the field. Great picks. You and I, I love that we didn't share any notes and this is what we're coming up with. These are my favorite exercises. I know that probably doesn't like excite the listener as much as it excites you and I, but when we hit on the same things, uh, I have my honorable mention as junior Colson, 27 tackles and one sack, as you mentioned, and he needs a nickname as we've discussed. I think there might be something there with the fact that he silently does this and that he's like a complete psychopath that wants to watch the light drain out of your eyes. Like, I think that's where we need to look for this nickname. I mean, we, we could call him JC at this point. He might have an argument against Jesus Christ, <laughs> but we'll get to that later. Look, let's let's wait and see what happens in the playoffs, and then we'll, we'll agree upon that. But we're not far off. For defensive MVP, though, I had Mozzie Smith, who you wanted to touch on in the first quarter. I don't care where you put him. He needs to be mentioned. I'm mentioning uh, him here. Over this period, it's only 15 tackles and one TFL. That's like whatever. It's not about stats when you're the defensive tackle, when you're the run wall that is designed to just push people away from you. The idea is to push them to the edges and those edges are going to contain. So, But during this stretch, we held um, Maryland went off for 128. A lot of that was through the quarterback. Not a lot of it is meaningful yards. It was late in the game. Uh, but then they go 35 yards rushing and 19 yards rushing. Iowa, 35 yards, Indiana, 19 yards rushing. And that is, you know, there's a lot of people that get credit for that. But I want to give Mozzie Smith his props there. Like 19 yards rushing at, at Indiana, 35 at Iowa for a team that like we knew all they could do was run. That's extremely impressive. So I'm going to touch on Mozzie Smith there. Uh, all right. Coordinator of the quarter, sir. Once again, another tough one. 
This is very tough. You can go a lot of different ways. And I'm going to go with kind of a chess move on this one with um, you give it to Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss, but I really want to stay on Sharon Moore here. Uh, the offense, I mean, really started like establishing their identity in the year. They had 463 yards against Maryland, 327 against Iowa, 469 against Indiana. And we're just establishing their identity is we're going to run the damn ball. Like no matter what, this is what we're going to do. And this played dividends down the road. So I really want to highlight more here for what he did with that offensive line. I mean, that we talk about 243 yards by Corum against Maryland, Olawatimi, all these new pieces. Because remember, we had a lot of players injured on the offensive line early in the season. So there was a lot of mix and match going on. I thought more and the coordinators handled it seamlessly. That's a great answer. And I was thinking right along the same lines. So uh, I will steal a lot of your analyses. I'll just give it to Mike cart for a lot of the same reasons. Um, but you saw, especially with the numbers that we said there, the outlandish numbers there, you also had Donovan Edwards, who was in and out of the lineup at this point, still contributing just the run game in general. And also want to touch on Mike Hart going out at Indiana. That was an extremely scary moment. Um, the, the players responded to that, and it was just this moment of adversity that I think when we look back on this season, we're all going to probably remember that moment. So I'll give it to Mike Hart here, but a lot of what you touched on there, uh, I'm just completely echoing that. Uh, defining moments, sir. This is another fun one. Oh, there are so many answers, and uh, I mean, a, a lot of good submissions, but my favorite of this is Blake Corum one-on-one in the hole against Jack Campbell, Buckkiss award-winning Jack Campbell for best linebacker in the country and getting his shit shook out of his shoes, not knowing where to go, froze like Frozone, slipping on ice, didn't know what was going on, and Corum just shakes him down, scoots on in the end zone, and ices the game at Kinnick. God, I love that play. So you had more bars than Fort Knox. That was that was delightful right there. <laughs> Always bring that kind of energy. I just got a little aroused. Yeah, I mean that I remember that uh, particular play and you sharing that all over Twitter and it aroused me then or it arouses me still. That was uh, one of the better plays and that jump cut that Corum has, man. Like Jack Campbell's as good as it gets at the linebacker position as sound as you can get and uh uh-uh wasn't happening. Uh, I went to the Maryland game because it was the tightest of the games and it was the one that probably could have gone south for us if a few things would have changed. So I went the Blake Corum 47-yard touchdown against Maryland with 330 left. That put us up 34-19. It secured that game. I like your choice more though. Yours is more important. I'll say that. Like it really iced it. Although, I mean, it, we won by a score in that game, but many of it watched it. We were up by too late with the garbage time. But that, I mean, it was very meaningful when that happened because Corm did the same thing in the first half. He bounced on outside and opened the game up a little bit. And this one, like when you need some yards, like the l- offensive line sucked everybody up in the middle. Corm saw the outside, took the edge. And I, I mean, I was very relieved at that moment. Let's just say that because of the panic right. of a potential upset. And I can only imagine how you felt in the stands. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as far as need, Needed to have it. That was probably more important. Uh, Harley Johnson just put out her top 10 uh, most important plays of the season, which I agree with most of them. But we're going to do our top 10 favorite plays at some point, which I that I I look forward to even more because I know you you're going to be like six yard gain against Purdue Big Ten Championship. The reason why is Ryan Hayes pulls exactly 18 yards to get there. And we'll be like, All right. (laughs) Like, here's when uh, Blake Corum goes vroom for 50. That's my favorite. Like, that's going to be my analysis, but can't wait for that. 
Uh, goes of room for 50. You know, I was just like soaking it up when I saw Penny Sewell catch that pass from the Lions this Absolutely week. Absolutely delightful. Look, I can also revel in some, some chess moves out there. Uh, let's take a quick sponsor break. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Whether you like it or not, the holidays and everything that comes with the holidays are coming quickly. That means repetitive, nonsensical, and dated music with questionable undertones rooted in bygone eras sung by pop stars of the 90s and 2000s. But it also means the joy of gift giving. And whether gifting to a lucky friend or to your two lucky friends dangling down below, Manscaped Platinum Package is sure to be the gift that keeps on giving. Look, Santa's known for his sack, and so too should you be. That's why you can get 20% off with your first purchase when you go to manscaped.com with the code MNB20. Look, the weather is getting cold. That means you are more likely to retreat to the warmth of the indoors, the warmth of your bedroom. You know what that can lead to. Why do you think there are so many babies born in September and October? It's ridiculous. Make sure that when cold weather leads to something a little steamier, you are proud of the way that you're presenting yourself down there, gentlemen. Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. Everything you need to deck the halls, to face the balls, just in time for mistletoe season. Platinum Package has each product from the best-selling Performance Package Plus, Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1, and Ultra Premium Deodorant. It's the best way to smell fresh from your Santa hat to your candy cane. The Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer and the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to protect your delicate parts. Both parts are waterproof, so no issue clearing the snow out of your driveway there. Now that you've groomed your candy cane, it's time to make sure you don't smell like a reindeer with the Platinum Package Shower products. All of Manscaped's shower gear is sulfate-free, vegan, and made to have your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. Smelling good doesn't stop at the shower. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve stink problems all day long. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. Platinum Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. The perfect stocking stuffer, the brand new body buffer, an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code MNB20. Manscaped, get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. All right, coming back, second half of the season, week seven through nine. We call this the first challengers and revenge. Uh, that was dramatic, but Penn State was not dramatic. We won 41 to 17, absolute beatdown. Michigan State, not really dramatic either. We were in attendance for that one. It certainly felt dramatic, though. We never really felt comfortable until uh, punts started getting blocked. That's a win, 29-7 at home. At Rutgers, the win was 52-17. Kind of already forgot about that game, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Let's start on offense, as we had every time, sir. Honorable mention and offensive MVP. Uh, Honorable mention for this stretch for me is going to be the offensive line. What they did against Penn State, that uh, vaunted run defense who was good against everybody not named Michigan for the most part, uh, just pulverized them. And this was the first, like, submission of their candidacy to repeat as back-to-back Joe Moore award winners. I mean, they were just mauling. Uh, Michigan State game was just a street fight, so they were deeply involved in that, just getting the push that they could, handling that game. It's very emotional. And as well in Rutgers, like, had to run the ball at times, look for stuff when adversity hit early on, and they found a way. So they were going to be the runner-up, or honorable mention for me. But come on, offensive MVP, I hate to be boring. Blake Corum had 
five rushing touchdowns during this three-game stretch. Uh, and he had one receiving touchdown, technically, against Michigan State. His yardage was 166, 177, and 109. Like, it is just the Heisman season was there, man. If he just stayed healthy, it was so close. But it has to be corn for me in this stretch again. And it's the last time I'm going to give him an award, I promise. No, it's all good, man. You think I'm going to fight back? You think I'm going to be like, stop the podcast? He gave Blake Corum. MVP of the quarter. What do you think we're doing here? Uh, everything you said is correct. I can't even really push back. There's no wrong answers here. I did mix it up a little bit, and I was able to find some stats that kind of back me up. Uh, but Penn State is just a smorgasbord. But I've got honorable mention at Donovan Edwards here because he actually outgained Corum for total yards against Penn State. He, he was ludicrous in that. 16 for 173, two touchdowns, uh, one reception for 21 yards. Like, his best game ever. You were totally right about that in the previous podcast that we did. So uh, he also had 80 yards against Michigan State and 161 total yards and a touchdown versus Rutgers. So really good for the whole stretch. Uh, Corum as well is going off for this stretch. So he needs to be mentioned, as you said. But I'm not going to like cheap out on this. I'm going to give it to Olu Oluwatimi. I'm going to give offensive MVP of this quarter to him Yes, because it's happening for two running backs. That's how I'm able to defend my answer here is it's not just Blake Corum being Blake Corum. Everybody's able to do this. And both of those guys are really good, obviously, but clearly that says something about the offensive line. And if I'm giving it to the offensive line, I'm giving it to the best player on the offensive line, the consensus all American on the offensive line. The guy that you and I said is the Remington award winner running away all season long and I will never back down Olu Olu with Timmy I, I stand by that I think he is he deserves one of these MVPs I feel like we've switched bodies here like I'm riding the quorum train you're giving it to offensive linemen for obscurities this is great this is why we're here I'm having a great time doing it <laughs> I'm not going to push back because I said the gave the offensive line some love there and uh another reason man like you think about this game like th this stretch of games you remember Quorum's Michigan State game might have been some of the most I've pressed, impressed I've been with him all season. Like, you remember the spin breakout of tackles with two players yeah. hitting him at the same time, what it meant emotionally for the team. Like, this was such a defining stretch of the season. And I love the way you put it with like, you get these challengers, you get the revenge. But also, Michigan really established who they were on a national scale because up until then, it was their schedule, their schedule, their schedule. It's like, no, then we just ran through this part of it and kicked the shit out of everybody. Exactly. Great points made, as you always make. And for those that are like, why isn't J.J. McCarthy being mentioned here uh, against Penn State? J.J. McCarthy, 17 of 24 for 145 in interception, a weird interception. But nonetheless, like J.J. was not having some crazy stretch here. So just wanted to touch on that. Let's move over to the defense, sir. Honorable mention and MVP for you. Uh, honorable mention on the defensive end is something you and I actually noticed together. So this one kind of stands out to me more uh, in that regard. It's Chris Jenkins. Chris Jenkins was awesome yeah. in the Michigan State game and really started to emerge as another guy on the defensive line, along with Mozzie Smith, right around the same time as Mason Graham was coming into his own. It's like, this guy is a player. He was just constantly disrupting things, and it was a theme we ended up seeing the rest of the season. And I remember first seeing it during this stretch. Uh, for defensive MVP, though, I'm going to go with a player we've touched on more recently, but not as much. I'm going to go with Michael Barrett during this stretch because of his two-interception game and one touchdown against Rutgers. You don't see many games like that 
ever. He also included a total of, you see, four, six, he had seven tackles. He's played well all season, had a half sack, half TFL against Penn State. But he's really getting this award because of the Rutgers game. Just felt like validation for a guy that flashed once in 2020, was low-key very instrumental last year at the end of the year, but didn't get a lot of praise. So this was awesome for him. Got the touchdown and two interceptions in the same game. I mean, I was so happy for him. Look, I hate that I have to say it again, but I am having so much fun because I absolutely I absolutely love that we came into this blind. I have Mike Barrett as my honorable mention. I have everything that you have there written down. Such a stretch. I only gave it to somebody else here because it's a bit of a cumulative reward that I didn't give it to him earlier. You have already awarded this player. I'm giving it to Rod Moore for overall captaincy of the back end through this period. He had one interception in, against Michigan State, which was critical, and everything that happened against Michigan State we needed, but just overall field generalship. Like the stats aren't anything crazy. He did have four tackles, which uh, tied him for leading tackler against Michigan State, too. So that was the game that we needed the most. So that's the game that stands out to me the most. And just overall season award as well for Rod Moore. Uh, let's move to court coach or coordinator of the quarter. Uh, coordinator or coach of the quarter for me here is Jesse Mentor. Because this is when it really became the mentor show, especially in the second half. He gave up three points to Penn State and then was not scored on him by Michigan State or Rutgers in the second half of either game. Just completely slamming the door and making second half adjustments a staple of what he does at Michigan and really just becoming the best defensive coordinator we've had in a very long time with how multiple he is, the way he utilizes players on the field and puts them in the best position to succeed. Great. Absolutely great choice. That was my choice here because obviously he had to be touched on and I have somebody that I'm saving for the final quarter. So I, I still have to give it to Minter, uh, but I had a backup here and that would be Jay Harbaugh. Jake Moody went five for five field goals against Michigan State. And that is the game I keep going back to because it was the game that they had mentioned during this period, literally on their goals board. So Jake Moody being a second team All-American, being finalist for the Lou Grozo Award, needed him here. And Jay Harbaugh just needs a shout out for overall special teams excellence throughout the year. But it's Minter. It's Minter for everything that you said. I can't go with anybody else. And I have to give it to the guy I'm giving it to in the fourth quarter. So I have to give it to Minter here as well. The defining moment. A defining moment for me in the second half. Like, I, I think you're going to go Michigan State. So I tried to go Penn State on this one. And I went with the back-to-back -back rushes when Michigan broke the will of Penn State when Donovan Edwards had a 67-yard touchdown run. And then the very next time Michigan touched the ball, Blake Corum broke one for 61 to take the game from Michigan down 16-17 to up 31-17 to completely flip the momentum and really show how the Wolverines were going to use that back-breaking kind of playmaking in the second half. You saw it against Ohio State later on. You saw it here just to wear teams down, like that it didn't just work against the Maryland's or the Iowa's. It could also work against some of the best rushing defenses in the country. And when these two went back-to-back, -back, I was just blown away that it was actually happening. And uh, I, a little did I know that was only going to be about a six on the blown-away schedule by the time we got to Columbus. Yeah, that's a good answer. I kind of wish that I would have done a little bit more Penn State here. I was very Michigan State focused, I think because we just blew Penn State out and that game didn't really ever feel in in contest, but 
in hindsight, it's still extremely important. That was the best win that we had on our schedule. That was massive for everything that we wanted to do. So I don't want to diminish it. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I did, as you predicted, choose something from the Michigan State game. I just completely overlooked Rutgers and Penn State and all my awards here. Uh, but that's just that's how I feel. I wanted to beat the hell out of those creeps. They needed it and they got it. So I have trouble with the snap written in all caps because that was how I said it. <laughs> I said it in all caps and lost my voice for two weeks. So trouble with the snap part two because they had two back to back. But the last one put us up for good. It it sealed the door. Uh, you and I were elated after that. You, me and Olivia, your girlfriend, everyone around us in the section. I turned to the people uh, wearing green behind us and let them know how I feel. So that was an important one for me. And it, it gets the victory here. But I agree that maybe it's not the most important moment. No, it's just it's nice we have these back and forth because like we view football differently, we consume it differently, like games mean more to us and certain things stand out. So it's nice to have that balance. And oh man, because you and I had the tease in the in this game the first time we thought it happened. Right. We yelled trouble with the snap. And then when it really happened, we just let it yes. go. And the fact that we learned later Blackledge was on the call. Like this is the way I want to remember the Michigan State game, not whatever happened at the end of it. Right. Maybe my defining moments I did more so as like what I remember from the quarter, which isn't necessarily the exercise, but that's kind of how I did it. Uh, but nonetheless, it was an important moment because it sealed the victory over the team that we kind of needed the victory over the most. Uh, not to say we didn't need it over Penn State, but uh, just for the sake of exercising some demons. But I digress. Let's move to the final quarter, sir. The best quarter. We saved it for last because that's how time moves. And weeks 10 through 12, we're calling boot meets throat nebraska at michigan we win 34 to 3 illinois at michigan we win 19 to 17 and then we went to ohio state a little place called the horseshoe came out of that one with a win 45 to 23 what are your thoughts about what happened over the final quarter of the season oh man a, a lot of thoughts. One, because I got to watch the Ohio State game with you, so it's always going to be memorable. Uh, breaking these down, breaking these games down one at a time. I remember the NAS Nebraska game, just kind of a malaise. Get ahead, stay ahead. Just kind of boring, and it was nice that winning by that large of a margin over Nebraska's largest underdog betting line in the history of their program was delightful. I remember the stress of the Illinois game when everything was stacked against Michigan with Blake Corum going down, Donovan Edwards already unavailable, Isaiah Gash coming up with timely plays, the defense making stops, Moody keeping him in the game. Like It felt like a game we should have lost and we would have lost in years prior, excluding last year, but it just feels like one of those games, Michigan pulled it out, and then, I mean, <laughs> what, what more can I say about Ohio State that's not already written in stone tablets somewhere in Ann Arbor? The stone tablets that you carved, sir. You you've written some of my favorite words about that particular yes. win. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, well said, sir. I'm glad that you went game by game here because it is important for this last part. And I remember Nebraska, Illinois, it was almost that boredom. You said malaise. We were like Nebraska. We're like, yeah, this is great. Like, but clearly our eyes were on Ohio State, Illinois. That all changed when we almost dropped it. The Corum knee injury completely changed the outlook of the season. I remember the uh, 
malaise isn't quite the word. What is depression? What's lower than depression? Hell uh, of thinking like there goes our entire season if Edwards or nor Corum can go against Ohio State. So that was a, a, a definite low there, like especially in game when we hadn't pulled out the win yet against Illinois. So and then there's the highs of that uh, that final game that you, as you aptly said, not much more needs to be spoken of. So excited to talk about this one because uh, something tells me much like the last segment, a lot of these answers are going to be focused on one game, but I don't want to spoil things. Let's start on offense, sir. Honorable mention and offensive MVP. My honorable mention aside from one game only had two carries for 13 yards and the other two combined. (laughs) You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Donovan Edwards, who with one arm due to a broken hand, carried the ball 22 times for 216 yards, including back-breaking 75 and uh, 80-yard touchdowns against Ohio State. Two touchdowns was relentless. Ball security was at a premium. He did a great job just securing it in his left hand, running smart, running hard, and stepping up when a game like a lot of us didn't think we could win without Blake Corum. And with Donovan Edwards now, you feel almost just as good. So he has to be honorable mention. But my offensive MVP for this section, we haven't talked about him a lot. I was glad you brought him up briefly in the last segment. It's J.J. McCarthy. It is Jesus John McCarthy, Jacob Jr. McCarthy, whatever you want to make up his initials to stand for, it is him. Because without J.J. McCarthy, we do not beat Ohio State. We may not beat Illinois without some of those timely throws to unproven guys as well. So I really value his leadership during this stretch. But it's, for me, the Ohio State game, which is one of the best games, probably the best game he's ever played because of timely runs, three touchdowns, finally connected on the deep ball. We said he had to have about four or five big throws, and that's exactly what he did. He had the Ronnie Bell throw on the first drive of the game, which yielded points. He had the two deep balls to CJ, which were both for touchdowns. The Colston Loveland one, which might be his best throw of the season, just dropped it in a bucket to open the third quarter scoring. McCarthy was unbelievable in this game for his first ever start in the shoe. His first year as a starter, I can't say enough good things about him. I'm going with him Caviezel right now. Uh, I love Jonathan Jesus McCarthy. I love any combination <laughs> of that, but uh, him Caviezel is really, it It fits me right now. It's what's rolling off the tongue. Uh, he also played Jesus in the Passion of the Christ, so there is some sort of connection there, but we're going to let you marinate on it. Um, I've got honorable mention a little bit different than you, a man that must be mentioned. You kind of mentioned it, but then glossed over. This is part of the 12-part apology tour. This honorable mention counts for two <laughs> apologies. This is two, which I think puts me at 10 or 11. I'm close in apologies uh, to Cornelius Johnson, who had one of the nastiest lookoffs of a defensive back that you'll ever see against Ohio State. He held that thing for half a second. Maybe it was a whole second and cooked him. I mean, it made one of my favorite memes where it was uh, somebody get brother a map. Have you seen that where it's the picture of him absolutely lost because Cornelius Johnson spun him around? Oh, yeah. Delightful. Delightful. I have it saved in my reel for the rest of time. So he needs to be mentioned here. Cornelius Johnson, um, much maligned, much blind. That's why he's getting apologies. Uh, Donovan Edwards also must be mentioned. Uh, I had him written down here, but look, it's him, Caviezel. It's him, Caviezel. It's Timothy Chalamet, because without him, we just we can't get it done against Ohio State. And we talked off air about 
running this through with Cade McNamara, which is a fascinating exercise. Maybe we'll do it in the off season. Um, but if you look at the numbers, you know, that that's interesting. That's not what we're here to do. The one thing we for sure agreed upon was that we do not win Ohio State with Cade McNamara. We needed J.J. McCarthy for that. So once you say that out loud, it can't be anybody else. If we needed him to get the most important win, the one that catapulted us to the Big Ten Championship, now to the playoff, it can't be anybody else. The end. Um, let's move to defense. Who you got? It was oh, it was ahead. it was a hundred percent what you said. You and your boy Joel Klatt said uh, JJ McCarthy just raises the ceiling for this team to a different level, takes them to that next place, and that next place is thirteen and zero. You guys have all aptly been proven correct. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to say that, but let's let's be real here. How many people said out loud JJ McCarthy raises this team's ceiling last year? That wasn't some unique thing. You said that too. Like that is that is a pretty common thing that a lot of people said. But as far as like what happened throughout the season, yeah, there were some people that were maybe starting to doubt JJ when you have the 17 of 24 and one interception against Penn State. But neither you nor me ever got off of JJ McCarthy, sir. So give yourself the the appropriate credit. Uh, let's move to defense, though. Honorable mention and defensive MVP. Uh, honorable mention and my MVP are going to go two different directions as terms as, as far as like grades are in on the team. Uh, I'm going to give honorable mention to two players, a pair of babies on the team, freshman Mason Graham and freshman Will Johnson, because this is when both of them st- stopped being freshmen and finally became men. Mason Graham had, let me see here, seven, nine, uh, 10 tackles through the last three games, a sack, a TFL. He was penetrating at a level of senior, really using his wrestling technique, his leverage that you never see from freshmen. Like he's everything we thought Aubrey Solomon was going to be when he finally came to Michigan. Uh, Will Johnson, this is when Will Johnson became cornerback number one. He had the inter- his first career interception against Rutgers, and it felt like that unlocked all of his potential because the next week he comes back to guard Marvin Harrison Jr. and is outstanding in coverage and adds eight tackles for his credit in that game. At points, they were moving Marvin Harrison Jr., who I think is one of the best two receivers in college football, away from freshman Will Johnson. Insane. That is crazy. I never would have thought that coming in to the season that Will Johnson would emerge as CB1 entering the college football playoff. But for hang on, defensive hang on. Can MVP I stop you? for the most can important I, stretch. Can I stop you? And I'm okay. and I hate to, you got you go. I hate go. to stop you in like at this moment, the crux of this. I am willing to bet we have this exactly the same because we have things. Uh, what are you willing to bet that you and I have this without looking at the notes? The every category exactly correct for this final final thing. I will bet you whatever you want to bet. I bet we have defensive MVP moment. I bet we I bet we have coach. I bet we have I, it too. I, coach is the only one I'd waver on, but I guarantee we have MVP at moment. I bet it too. All right. Please continue. Defensive MVP is Mikey Sainer still. Yep. Mikey was unbelievable in this three-game stretch. He had 17 tackles. He had two pass deflections. He, he was the leader of the defense, the heart and soul of it. As a first-year defender, he was just unbelievable to this court. Like what he did in man-to-man coverage and zone coverage, especially as a tackler. You think he would have been playing defense his entire career at Michigan is how is how like it's a fish in water. It's unbelievable watching him play. It is your jersey purchase. He's been my boy forever, as you know, and he's the defensive MVP for me in the final quarter. 
I love this. We are completely lockstep. I had Will Johnson, but I also had written below it or Mason Graham, question mark, deleted it, went with Will Johnson, only wanted to pick one. But the fact that you mentioned both is why I had to interrupt you, because I'm like, me and this man are about as lockstep on Michigan football as it gets. This proves it. It's Mikey Sainer still. The pass breakup is quickly becoming one of the more legendary plays. I think that everybody recognizes what that play meant. And everybody also is starting to recognize as we go back and look at what he meant to this team throughout the year, that speech, like the fact that he was named a captain, clearly this guy had something to do with the success on the field. Clearly this guy had something to do with the culture that they've built there. So yeah, it couldn't be anyone else here. And you might be able to argue uh, overall season defensive MVP, which maybe we should, we should give here. We didn't have that written in the doc, but we have the time for it. Uh, love you mentioning Will Johnson as well. The fact that he blossomed into a star here, he had to be uh, mentioned. Let's go ahead and go coach or coordinator of the quarter. I think we're going to get it. I think we're going to be lockstep here, but there's one that I'm worried about that you might go with. I'm going with Jim Harbaugh on this Got one it. because it was, <laughs> let's go because of what it meant, man. What? He's the one that instilled this culture and empowered the players and took over the program. He led them into Columbus and gave them the belief. Everything he's been saying all year was proven right. Like there's a reason he was AP coach of the year and was up for it again this year. Like he didn't let any of the distractions, him interviewing for the Vikings job on the second national sign day interfere with anything. He's been completely transparent. What he does from a leadership perspective, how good he has been in game this year, I think is underrated. Like sometimes once you understand his philosophy is like get ahead, stay ahead, mostly conservative, because if Michigan doesn't beat themselves, you're going to have a hard time beating them. Like we, you, you can see his philosophy working out the way he empowers his coaches beating Ohio state. It has to be hardball. It could be no one else. And that's why I was willing to bet. I was like, look, if we got the honorable mentions, right. We're going to get everything the rest of the way, because who else could it be? Could you give anybody else credit for the overall product and the overall product was realized against Ohio state. There's no other argument. I love that. You said that, sir, that is the correct answer. And I think we're going to get defining moment based on everything that you've said and all the other answers leading up to this, but no formalities. Let's hear it. A defining moment. There's a few plays in this game, but come on, man. It's the play of the year. The one you already alluded to. It's Mikey breaking up the Cade Stover pass in the side of the end zone. I mean, that is what this team has been all year. Like you think other teams are going to get the best of you at the last minute. It's still Michigan in the end. It was a team effort. Mikey Har- I mean, Mikey is the embodiment of Jim Harbaugh on the field. They're basically the same person when you hear him talk in interviews, the love they have between them. It, it was the most important play in the – maybe not the most important play in the game. You could argue it was. But I think it was the most important play of the season and just an amazing, amazing play. There's no other answer once again. I'm so pumped that we were lockstep on this. There is one final thought. This comes from a Ringer article. You and I are uh, big Ringer followers. And the quote was about uh, the Michigan victory November 26th in Columbus and said, these two teams played November 26th in Columbus and Michigan beat the ever-loving filth out of Ohio State. They dragged the Buckeyes to hell then made them pose for pictures. They ripped their doors off like a bear that smelled food inside of a car. I read that and I I put it in this. I've never like quoted anybody else, but because it comes from the ringer and because it was so eloquent and, and well put, I think it needed to be touched on as we as we close this thing out, because 
that was also a defining moment. It's just it's the overall just beat down on defense of that second half. Like you can't it's not one moment can encapsulate it into a play, but we ripped the doors off of their car and it was delightful. It was so good. I mean, Mentor only allowing three points in the second half. People like Taylor Upshaw, Makari Page coming up with the interceptions. I mean, this was just the embodiment of all the cliches that Michigan stands for, of the team, the team, the team. It was everybody. It was everybody doing their 111th every time they were on the field. I've rewatched this game five times at least already. So, I mean, it's my probably my second favorite movie behind the 2021 game. And... 13-0, man. These are the good times. This allowed us to put us in this position, and it made Purdue kind of feel like an afterthought even in the moment. Look, those are rookie numbers. You need to get those numbers pumped up. We're working above the neck numbers here, all right? So <laughs> I need you to pump that up. But I totally get it, man. This is not in the dock, but I'm thinking we could do this pretty quickly. Offensive MVP for the season, Blake Corum, we both agree? Yeah, hands down defensive MVP of the season might be a small conversation here. Who would you think is front runner Mozzie? It's uh, to me, it's the guy either in the front or the guy in the back. It's it's, you can really make an argument for junior Colson because of linebacker depth and how valuable yeah. he was there. But also like what Rod Moore meant to the secondary with all the moving pieces, like yeah. page and Moten moving around. So I would be glad I'd be willing to accept Mozzie, um, Colson or Rod Moore, to be honest. No Mike Morris, even though he was a second team, all big 10. I mean, without him, I don't know where we're getting sacks from. So I think you have to at least mention him. I think it was, I think he was first team because he was big 10 defensive lineman of the year. So I think you definitely have a case, but it's like, I think a lot of that just came from what Mozzie Smith did. And we've seen other edge rushers sure. step up and have the thing there. I think that deserves a mention, but you you take Mozzie, Junior Colson, Rod Moore off this team, it looks a lot different on defense. I would lean towards Mozzie or Mike Morris. They, I mean, we'll get these answers from the team at some point here as well. Um, coordinator of the year, Minter, right? Or Harbaugh. Oh, God, yeah. If you, I mean, you do Harbaugh for coach. Coordinator is so tough because Sharon Moore last year, right. now being proven as the catalyst to like what made the offense tick last year and then carrying over this year working with Weiss, which is completely different than working with Gaddis. Uh, but mentor on defense, man, like it can't be over. He was up for the Broyles, should have won it, but you know, he'll get a chance for revenge against TCU's uh, other Riley brother. So I think it has to be mentor, man. The second half defensive numbers, losing seven starters from last year's defense. That is ridiculous. It's Minter or Harbaugh. I don't really. Yeah, I, but then Sharon Moore, too. I don't know. Give it to one of the three and just tell me that I'm wrong. You know, I'll be happy with that. <laughs> Defining moment of the season. Uh, I think we're going to agree again. Is it the past breakup? Is that what we're going to remember? It sounds like like that's what's being etched into history, which I love being a part of, by the way. I love that we can kind of like discuss this as it's being etched in history. But I think that's the moment. Absolutely. Nine point underdogs on the road in Columbus haven't won since 2000. All the near 11 and 0 versus 11 and 0. A former receiver breaking it up. Like, come on, man. It was beautiful play. We need a statue of that, is what we need. I mean, according to you and I, we should have about 15 to 17 statues just lining State Street at this point. And I don't think anyone, you can't take any one of them away. Well, we could maybe take away that Durkin statue. We can, we can forget about <laughs> maybe that. Maybe we, we wanted Don Brown yeah. to have one in 16. We can tear that one down too. 
you can forget about the brown the don brown mustache statue that we thought would hang above yeah you know we don't need that we can forget about that but like at least the hassan haskins hurdle uh the pass the sane was still pass breakup yeah put them outside let's go i'll help pay for it <laughs> this is what i'm sending the money for for nil i just want statues i'm also sending recommendations of what statues to build so <laughs> and you're welcome uh sir this was a lot of fun uh as far as what's coming up we haven't decided yet we're either going to do two shorter pods over the holidays or we're going to do one bigger one uh right around them we don't really know what the best way to move forward is and as with everything we'll do we'll kind of just decide uh on a whim but what i can tell you is that we're going to have coverage of this TCU game. We're going to break that down thoroughly. You've already started to do that, and I, I, I need to catch up. I've only watched two TCU games in totality, but it is time to switch over to that, man, and I, I am super pumped to start breaking them down because it's a fun matchup. It, it really is. It's different. It's like stylistically different. I am champing at the bit for this. I've been grinding this past week in my free time, just breaking down tape. Don't worry, I didn't get too tired, so I'll be good. Uh, just kept powering through it, and I, I've, I mean, I've watched, I've watched almost every game. I think I skipped Tarleton State and some of the ones at the beginning of the year, like Colorado. But for the most part, man, I feel like I have a good understanding of this team, and I can't wait to break them down with you in the coming weeks. You're also an elite shade thrower, sir. Not many will even ever know how good you are at what you do, but I am thrilled to start breaking down TCU. So whether it's two podcasts or one, you're going to get plenty of content and we're not going anywhere. And we appreciate you hanging out. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. You can get this podcast anywhere that's Spotify, Apple Music or wherever. Follow us on Twitter at Mason Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue, and we'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.